we good to go? Oh, all right. Sorry about that. If you've been waiting for us, that was uh, whose fault? Who can I blame this on? It was somebody's fault but mine. It wasn't my fault, yeah. No, we were out there telling stories about the holidays. I looked up and we were after seven, so I apologize if you've been online. But if you're joining us, we're glad you're with us. And as always, uh, let us know you're there. Say hi. We got folks online to be a blessing, but you'll see a prayer tab. That's the most important thing. We want to be praying for you in every way we can. Those uh, Any requests are private, secure. They only go to one source, so... Uh, you don't have to worry about being shared or displayed, but let us know how we can be a blessing. But glad you're with us tonight. Uh, we're going to look at the uh, at the gospel or the book of Ephesians, not gospel, but the book of Ephesians. And uh, very, very interesting book. Uh, uh, let, let me start with this. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing's ever dawned on God? Now, it sounds like, you know, it's also a little cliche uh, you know, a little spiritualism, you know, but if you think about it, how much in our lives are like a aha or a, a dawning moment, so to speak, a new revelation, a new perspective, but yet nothing is new to God. And it just made me think, have you ever dawned on you that nothing's ever dawned on God? But, it, it, you know, he knew everything, obviously, before the world began. Was, so this book of Ephesians is unique. Uh, as you read around, you can get a lot of commentary uh, in a theological aspect of it that it's really a survival manual. And in the sense that it equips the believers not only how to survive, but how to thrive in the culture that they were in at the time of Ephesus. Now, a lot of correlation between what was going on in Ephesus and really our world today. Ephesus, uh, you know, southern part of Turkey at the time, was a, a thriving seaport. It was a metropolis area for the time, uh, very worldly, very greedy. Uh, uh, you know, they had uh, somewhere over 50-plus gods or temples that they built. One of the largest gods there was at the time that was worship, or Ardonius, or Ardonis, however you pronounce it, one of the you know world's most popular gods, so to speak. And so this was a very metropolitan, uh, worldly town, Ephesus, uh, thriving, big. It has so much culture and influence in it. And so we know that this was written to, uh, to encourage the church because the church of Ephesus was a newly planted church, very new church, very young believers were there. And so Paul writes this letter to them in the midst of this chaos that they're in, trying to be a new Christian, a new movement. Christianity was new in a world pretty much like America today. Imagine the world we live in today just in America. What if Christianity was new? I mean, look how hard Christianity is. I say hard. The, the confrontations with Christianity now, Christianity has been around since America's been here, and we butt heads with a unsaved heathen world, uh, imagine if it was new. So this is where Ephesus finds itself, and uh, so again, Paul writes this to him. He writes this letter that yes, why it's doctrinal, why there's you know theological foundation to it. Paul is right to them, telling them, hey, this is how you can survive, survive to the point to thrive. 
and the call that God puts on us. So, I mean, look what it says in Ephesians 2, 5. Uh, we'll jump with this verse here. We have it. Oh, it's the binder. There it is. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Meaning, we were all in the graveyard at one time, were we not? Or heading to the graveyard. And, uh, you know, now, by the work of Christ, by His grace, by His deliverance, now we're growing, we're flourishing in His garden, in what He provides. Uh, so, you know, at this point in our life, as, as believers and thriving in this grace, we should be killing sin in our life, not allowing sin to have a, a hold on our life. We should be growing, moving, thriving in this grace that God established. And this is what Paul's telling us or telling the church of Ephesus, that we have an opportunity through this grace of Christ to thrive, even in the culture that they were in at the time and even the culture we're in today. So one of the questions I have for us tonight, are we gaining ground or are we losing ground when it comes to our spiritual walk? Are we gaining ground or are we losing ground? And so we got to understand the greatness of God has been bestowed upon us. I mean, think about it. It's been bestowed upon us by, you know, the resurrection power to bring us not only to salvation, but consider this, not only salvation, but the same power, the grace of God and His greatness brings us to healing, does it not? It brings us to restoration, does it not? Transformation, sanctification. All this is done in and by and through the name of Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. So Paul's trying to say, look, this isn't about only just getting saved. Yes, it brings us, through grace, it brings us to the cross but according to what we read in verse 5, once we have garnered this grace and we've come to our salvation, now it's time to start thriving. Now it's starting to be about Christ and being like Christ. And that's when we start getting into spiritual healing and that restoration, conquering our sins, that transformation of our mind, building to that part that we're sanctifying ourselves, we're setting ourselves apart from this world that we're living in. So we have to ask ourselves, are we getting in sanctification? Are we living out the grace of God in our life through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are we gaining ground? Are we conquering sin to the point that we're walking in sanctification? Because that's what we're called to. We don't want to just be surviving. Oh, I got saved, you know, and then you're just, you're battling sins and there's no restoration, there's no healing going on, there's no transformation take place. You're the same place in your spiritual walk that you were a year ago. Yeah, and just, you get stuck in this battle and the same thing we're dealing with today, they were dealing with that in Ephesus. You could probably make an argument more so. But if Paul's encouraging the church of Ephesus, to such a point for sure he's calling us as well so question here for us tonight is it being displayed are we showing this sanctification this transformation in our lives is our testimony to the promises he's given us 
seen by others around us. And, and, you know, you have to do some soul searching on that to be able to answer that. You know, you can even jump to the end, Ephesians 6 and 18 through 21. Paul talks about this. He, he, he makes a point that even in our relationships, consider this. Paul's making the point that in every relationship we have, from a spouse, a, a close family member, uh, close friends, church, you know, family and friends, uh, co-workers, di- Every relationship that we're in in our life is a relationship that shows our servitude to Christ and our display of Him in our life. You can't avoid that. We cannot avoid everything. In a lot of ways, even strangers we encounter is an opportunity to show our servitude to Christ and displaying Christ. Look what it says in verses 18 through 21. Praying at all times, I'll see Paul talking here in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, talking about believers, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am the ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, this is verse 21. So that what? You, that's plural, that's all of us. So that you also may know how I I am and what I'm doing, that Titus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you what? Everything. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, as I do that, as I'm speaking boldly, as I'm writing to you here, as I'm you know, showing this, this, this sanctification, the call of Christ on our life, the power of Christ that we have from our salvation through our sanctification, that all these things will be revealed to you so that you can live as I'm living. Live in a way that's influencing others the way Christ has influenced you. Is a good way of saying that. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> let's read verses 3 through 9 here real quick. It won't take us but a second, but get the context here. It says, Blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose uh, us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's that sanctification. He predestined us for the adoption of himself through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he was blessed in us uh, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us, there it is, making known to us this mystery, this knowledge of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So uh, I was thinking about this when I was studying this afternoon. Can you think of something that's a regular part of your life that you really don't understand how it works? But it's, it's a regular, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, something like, uh, you know, the elections, I say around the corner, we're going to get inundated with that process. But something like the electoral process. 
you know that's every four years that comes around and you know yeah there you know it, it may be you know wouldn't apply to you know brad it may be airplanes it may be credit rating scores or whatever the, there's things in our life that we have to deal with in some shape form or fashion that we really may not really understand how it works but we got to deal with it or we got to work the process through it so to speak um that can be frustrating it can be frustrating when you're having to deal with something you don't really grasp or understand uh but yet you know you're stuck in that situation so when we so my point is to this so in our christian walk in our christian life we hear all the teaching and preaching and we're reading the bible ourselves the scripture and yet we look around us in this world and do we not see an immense amount of suffering oh man so much suffering and so much more of the stories come to light during the holidays we see hardship and this can be from strangers to those closest to us uh, we see souls that we know are lost that don't know the saving grace of jesus christ uh, spirits that are deceived that have just wandered away and been pulled away from christ and you know into a prodigal son or daughter situation so we look around we see these situations of people in great need of help and, and yet you know again it could be family friends workmates schoolmates whatever but yet it's almost like when you reach out to them or you try to 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 bring forth christ to them to illustrate it and then it's like no one's listening or no one cares and i'm just being transparent here and i'm not within the church but outside the church i sometimes find myself with certain family members or close friends and i know it sounds like an arrogant statement but it's like am i the only one that cares am i the only one that that gets this how can they be so obstinate and you know disengaged and uncaring and hard and argumentative and it it can be hard and it can be frustrating and you know the, these folks get distracted and uh, you know but we have to deal with it we have to live in this world we have to live amongst us we have to see those that are hurting those that need help those that need prayer and, and, and you know myriad to different levels but one thing we can garner for sure here our chapter one and, and i'll get to our main question tonight it's three truths we can walk away from if you look at chapter 1 of Ephesians. One, we have assurance. Paul points out the great assurance we have, meaning that what God starts, God will finish. Will he not? He tells us, I have, you know, began a good work in you, and, and I will complete it, you know, to my coming. So what God starts in us, does he ever give up on us? Now, he may not get us where he wants us to, where he wants us to be in our sanctification process, but it's not that it's God giving up on us, it's us dragging our feet towards God. But we do, we do have the assurance, do we not? The assurances of God that what I start in you, I will finish in you. Two, Paul illustrates in chapter 1, we do have hope because of that. If we have the assurance that God will never stop with us, how much hope does that give us? I mean, that's the power of the, you know, on the surface of the story of the prodigal son. 
if he can come back and show the riches of his blessings and his goodness and his assurance towards the prodigal son, are we ever lost? No, never lost. Never lost. So we have hope. And because of the hope, we can face whatever trials come our way. And then three, Paul emphasizes the boldness of evangelism, of what you know, he was called to do and thus calls us to, to obey the revealed things. And this is one of the big points Paul's pointing out here in the whole book of Ephesians, in all six chapters. It's kind of like, you know, why I said that Ephesians is a survival manual. There is, within it, just right here in the first chapter we already read, there's one of the more controversial theological arguments in predestination. The foundation, one of the foundational pillars of, the, of, uh, of Calvinism, John Calvin, you know, the tulip. That, that predestination has been argued and debated and a theological stance made on that God picks and chooses who he will save and not save. And, and while that is a, a, a blind theology that even Calvin himself recounted that, that belief at the end of his life because uh, his writings were so early in his own walk, but the point is when, when it comes to even something like, like predestination, the point is that God is not choosing for us what God has established as purpose in all of us. We're the ones that choose to live according to that purpose. That's probably, to me, the simplest way on the surface of dealing with predestination. God doesn't choose who will get to sanctification. What God has established by His predestined, His purpose, does that make sense? For us to be sanctified. Whether we become or how sanctified we become in Christ, that's up to us. Us and us alone. God has already purposed it. He's already predestined that before the world began. And, and so, so within this, so I'm saying all that for this point, that something like predestination that, that can, you can rack your brain around and get into deep theological arguments, we, we need to... To keep in perspective and keep the simplicity of the gospel and the truth that Paul is calling the church of Ephesus to focus on what? Evangelism, Christ. Focus on what changed your life. You're not going to debate somebody into salvation by predestination. Paul says, you got your assurance because of the assurance you have hope, and that hope and that assurance is based on the evangelistic work of Christ and the cross. That's where Paul's calling us to, our focus. Let's go back to verse 9 real quick and, and recant that. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Now, that word mystery in the Greek, it's a Greek word, mysterion, and it means to shut the mouth. But here's the thing. God wasn't shutting up the truth of the gospel. The problem was that God wasn't intentionally keeping it a mystery or secret. His plan for the world could not and would not be understood fully until Christ had died and rose from the grave. And, and so what appeared to be a mystery and was revealed, and Paul used the word mystery, it wasn't a hiding of it. It wasn't like, oh, I'll decide who gets to hear this and who doesn't. It was like the mystery is going to be a mystery until Christ is risen from the dead then the all truth will be revealed. 
And, and so this is what the purpose of sending Christ was, was two things. One, we know, is to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. God had gotten the point that he had taken, the, I say taken away, he had taken the gospel away from the Jews that had corrupted the gospel. He gave it to the Gentiles through the, gospel, I mean, through the disciples and the New Testament church. And it was to bring about one body of Jews and Gentiles to one truth, one purpose, and that being Jesus Christ. But I want to make a point tonight that I think is something that it's easy. I think we can go beyond just the Jews and the Gentiles. And while the language can be a little thick in this process here, but you can make a strong point to this. Paul is defining God's secret, this mysterious plan, to not only unite the Jews and the Gentiles as one race, but to include uniting heaven and earth under God's authority. I think we can make a strong argument that Paul is trying to say, look, we have this mystery in Christ who's now in heaven with the Godhead of the Trinity, and this truth and this purpose and this calling of God is the exact same calling God has put upon our lives. And it unites heaven and earth to what? God's singular purpose, which is who? Jesus Christ. And it's bringing this, it's almost like a spiritual funnel or microscope, I guess it would be a better analogy, that, that, that puts this microscope on Christ. So I think it goes beyond just us. Well, it's for us. It includes us. We are the ambassadors. Just like Paul you know, claimed that he was and we are. We're ambassadors of this mystery, of this revealing of the gospel. But it's also to unite the purpose of heaven through the work of man. It's not just a Jew and Gentile thing. That was a process. So it not only bridges the separation of the Jews and the Gentile church, but it unites through Christ the mystery, which is, i.e., God's will, God's purpose, that's a mystery, of the Father's will for us as his creation. He didn't create us just to create us. He created us with great purpose. And that purpose was embodied in Jesus Christ himself. That is the link between heaven and earth is Christ. He didn't create us just to bring together the Jews and the Gentiles. No, it was to bring together heaven's perfect purpose and heaven's creation in man. Look at three verses here that will kind of emphasize this and we'll close. Let's go back to Luke 8.10. We, we use this verse Sunday. It tells us, he says, though it has been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, Sunday we talked about that we're called to our hearts to be a fertile field like the disciples. God intently chose the disciples knowing their heart was going to be right to get what he wanted to get, that it, he would get a hundredfold out of them. And, of course, he talked about he called, you know, some he's looking for 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. But like this, the fertile understanding, teaching of God's will. This is what Paul is directing us to, that we need to, to, uh, to understand that this mystery lies in and of Christ. And this mystery is the gift that we have that we are carrying around. And it's the gift that we're to give. And it's still a mystery. Now, it's not a mystery to us. It's not a mystery to the New Testament church. 
but is it not in a lot of ways still a mystery to an unsaved world? Now, I don't get all this Jesus, God stuff. I don't know if I believe all that. Why? It's still a mystery to them. This is where it's back to, to Luke 8.10. Jesus spoke in parables. We talked about Sunday on purpose because those that he knew that he would never get their heart, it'll always be a mystery to them. Those that get it will get it and understand it and multiply it. That's who God's looking to invest in. That's who God's pouring out his spirit into. Those that are going to grasp and garner his purpose in the mystery of the gospel. Look what it says in Romans 11, 33 through 36. I love these passages here. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Oh, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For, uh, for from him and through him and to him are what? All things. To him be the glory. Amen. The implication of these questions, or excuse me, the implication of these questions is that no one has fully understand or will fully understand the mind of Christ. That's a given. We, we understand that. No one's been his counselor, as it says. But what it doesn't exclude us from is a simple obedience to his word. Catch it. Did you catch that? You and I may not understand it, and there will be a lot that we don't understand. That's why we have a myriad of the denominations, because they can't all agree on what they understand and what they think they know. But irregardless of what we know and what we don't know on the depths of doctrine, when it comes to Christ, does it exclude us from being obedient to what we know the Scriptures say? Doesn't exclude. Meaning what? Keep it simple, stupid. Remember Kiss analogy? Keep it simple. The stupid part applied to me, not to y'all. Keep it simple. Stay focused on the purpose of Jesus Christ. This is what, again, Paul is calling the church of Ephesus to. And then Colossians 1, 26 and 27 goes on to say, The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, the gospel, which is, in, uh, which is Christ. And then one of those next two words, in you. So where does this mystery lie? The mystery is Christ, the gospel, but where does it lie? In us. We possess this mystery. I'm going to show you one more word, and it'll, it'll drive this point home. But the point is here in Colossians 1, Christ lives in us. The mystery dwells within us. So, back to our question. If you begin to see this purpose in life that Paul's calling the church to in Ephesus, how would that change things? The more we grasp that, how much does it change things concerning that mystery in your life? That mystery being Christ lives in you. Now, we know this you know, exists for the praise and the glory of God. But before we answer this question, look at these last verses. And then uh, we'll close here. Verses 11 through 14, back in Ephesians 1. 
in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, eternal life, being predestined according to his purpose, of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, ye were sealed with that the Holy Spirit of promise. And watch this, verse 14. Which is the earnest of his inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Okay? Now, there's this word here that's this talking about this possession, this purpose. There's a Greek word in there, arabon, A-R-R-A-B-O-N. It is a commercial, it's a finance term. It's a term meaning a down payment, an earnest. If you're buying a house or anything that requires a, a, a deposit, an earnest payment, and, and you put forth this initial investment, for the purpose of the hopes of a greater return. This is the word that's being used here. Meaning, in that light, 2,000 years ago, a little bit over 2,000 years ago, that same deposit, that Erebon, was made in you and me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as soon as that individual accepts that mystery, the work of Christ, that redemptive work for their salvation, as soon as we accept the gospel and we pray and accept the gift of Jesus Christ, and our name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life, immediately, by way of the Holy Spirit, that Erebon, that investment, that down payment is made in us. And it's not money. That down payment was so big, it was the life of Jesus Christ. That's what God put down. Hey, hey I, I know in, in, in 1978, I know Todd at that football camp in Nessus Park, Colorado, I know he's going to hear the good news and he's going to accept Christ. As soon as he does, I'm going to deposit the life of Jesus Christ in him by way of the Holy Spirit. What a gift. And this is the purpose that God's calling the church to of Ephesus. Look, you're, you're in this multicultural center. You're in this metropolitan area, this, this fleshly world that you're living, this greed. And I'm bringing about a mystery, a new mystery that's never been heard by others. First time being heard. And, 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 and you're, you're young Christians. But I'm going to invest everything into you. And you got the assurance and you got the hope. And that's based on the work of Christ. So understanding that question, understanding this, this down payment that's been put on us or put in us through the work of Christ. Now, if we go back to our question that I said, the more we understand this purpose, this calling of God upon the church, i.e. being us, and understanding this mystery and, and the deposit that was made in us and gifted to us, being Christ in us, then we got to understand the call that Paul is not only giving the church of Ephesus, but the call he's given us. That we're living out that purpose. 
If not, we're just taking that earnest money, we're taking that deposit, sticking it in our own spiritual bank, and heading on down the road. Well, God's purpose was obviously to save you. He predestined that everyone would be saved through His purpose of Christ on the cross. Who chooses that predestination is up to us. But if we're, if we're fortunate enough that somebody invested in us the gospel and we accepted it, we've got to understand by the life of Christ that that was deposited in us and Christ is in us, the mystery. From eternity past, when all was put into creation, that mystery was established by God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that purpose is to draw together heaven's purpose through his earthly creation. This is the power of what Paul's telling us in the book of Ephesians. Hey, this isn't about just surviving. This isn't about just reaching out and touching the hem of his garment and, 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 and just getting salvation barely at the nick of time. No, this is about Christ is dwelling in you. God has deposited him into us for what? For his purpose. And we have that assurance and that hope. Are we grasping that purpose? And are we thriving in our evangelism? When we say evangelism, don't, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that you're knocking on doors until you get somebody to pray the sinner's prayer with you. There's other ways to evangelize. Evangelism is sharing your testimony. Sharing Christ that's in you. That boldness that Paul says, I pray also that, that through, uh, I can't remember his name, Thysus, my, my, my disciple, that he will reveal to you all things. What? The things that I'm showing you, the boldness of Christ that dwells within me. That you too will have that boldness. doesn't mean we have to walk around beating people over the head with the word of God. It doesn't mean we have to go around calling out people's sin. But it means it's living in a sanctifying way, setting ourselves apart from the world that the world can see Christ dwells within us. So they can find the same hope we found in Christ. Amen? Questions, thoughts? Yeah, paint it forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can't touch the word, no. No. That's why it says God's word never returns void. Because it's once it's there, it's there. Yeah. True. No, that's true. 
You can choose different paths, but it's still there. Yeah. That's back to the assurance we have. What God starts in us, he will finish. And so, so, so Paul is, is, again, so when I say this, this book is, is, a, is not just a book of survival, it's a book of thriving. It, it, it's written in a way to me, jumps out to me, that it, it's, a, it's a manual to thrive in the purpose of God. Yeah. True. Yeah. No, th- I mean, and again, you, if you want to get into the doctrinal aspects and the pillars of the faith, I mean, there's, you know, Ephesians is loaded with it, but I'll, I'll probably just want to continue through this with these six chapters, but we'll see that Paul keeps it to the simplicity of the mystery of the gospel. Don't get caught up. Don't get blinded. Don't get distracted. Stay focused on the purpose of Christ and the cross. And, and, and then, you know, we'll grasp that purpose. The more we grasp that purpose, as Stephen says, then the more that earnest deposit has been put in us can be paid forward. So others can have that assurance and that hope. Any other thoughts? All right, I am done. Let's pray, and uh, we'll take up our offering. Father, we thank you for tonight, this opportunity just to gather together as family, but uh, more importantly, just to gather in your word and to understand the boldness and the power that your word possesses for our lives and that, Lord, you have great purpose for your church and uh, for your children, those uh, that uh, have accepted their salvation in Christ, that we are called to, to thrive in your purpose, in this mystery that uh, is still a mystery to so much of the world. Uh, you know, they may have heard of Christ, they've heard of the cross, they've heard of the burial and resurrection, but the grasping that mystery and accepting it is a mystery to them in so many ways. It's so important that, uh, that we grow beyond our salvation, that we, that we grow in our sanctification, that, that we show that assurance, that hope, uh, through our testimony as we evangelize Christ that's in us, that deposit that's been made. So empower us through this word. Uh, help us to have opportunities. Put us in those situations that we can testify to your greatness and your goodness in our life. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.